Welcome to Jeremy's Iron. Episode number? 20 or 19 or something. I'll, I'll figure that out. I think it's 18, actually. <laughs> I'm getting, getting ahead of myself. Well, I was feeling 19, but we can fix that in post. We'll sort it out. Uh, welcome to Jeremy's Iron. This is a weekly science podcast about research, reason, and... Ev- evidence. Evidence. And famous Russians. Famous Russian scientists. With me, Justin Mendelev. And me, Justin... Oh, we had... What was the one we had before? Pavlov. Justin Pavlov. That's it. You got it. Yeah. I'm glad we have someone who can join us in our anagram game. We take proper names and rearrange the letters to form a description of that person. Like, uh, Alec Guinness. So we are, in fact, coming to you from Russia. Live. We are. On we a speaking a, tour. On a speaking tour. We're coming to you from Vladimir in Russia, which is about two hours outside of Moscow. That's right, but 180 clicks. 180 clicks. Uh, As the crow flies. We've had a, a delicious meal at uh, a sponsor of the station, Sheshbesh Restaurant. In That's right. This week's sponsor. This week's sponsor, Sheshbesh, which... Spelt Wubu. In Cyrillic. In Cyrillic, yeah. We've had, we've had elongated discussions around Cyrillic language, but, but this particular restaurant was great. It's like a Georgian kind of Azerbaijani, halfway between Turkish and Russian restaurant. And it was great. It was awesome. And I, I, this, this is my first little point I want to raise with you is the idea of Google reviews. Are you grinding axe with me right now? <laughs> I might be grinding an axe with you. But in, look, in this show, we're going to do a News Just In segment where I'm going to pepper you with the up the most recent news, science news uh-huh. in town. We're also going to talk about research in Russia yeah. um, and the pitfalls that have befallen the well, once great scientific state of the Soviet Union, now Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that, we're going to just have a little chat about all things of our trip. We've been together for the last four or five days in Russia. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. We met in St. Petersburg. <laughs> we did. We've come Saint here. Pete's. And Sheshbesh was this restaurant we went to, and I was so tempted to leave a Google review mm-hmm. because the Google reviews were not that great at this place, and this place was amazing. And I kind of want to—I kind of think that like I'm scared of, that we place too much emphasis on Google reviews. Do you, do you when you look for places to go to? Do you like uh, put weight into the Google review star system and stuff? No, I don't. You don't? I, I don't leave Google reviews. And I don't really read them. Because no. this place, I was like, this place had like 4.3 as the star rating. I was like, yeah. whoa, Burger King had 4.5. Yeah, but they're not all on the same scale of five. Well, well that's right. That's right? what I'm saying. I mean, like, you have to understand what kind of restaurant it probably is. Yeah. And they, then you're, you're marking it on a, on a possible five of what it could be given what it's chosen to be. Yeah. You know, Burger King probably is a 4.3 for what it is. Yeah. For what they claim to be. It's, well, that's true. Like if you're going to Burger King and you're rating it, you know, you're not going to be like, this is fast food, two stars. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Well, well, let's talk Russia. If you had to, at the moment, yeah. what, what's been your, your five-star Google review experience thus far of, your, of our little trip? Hmm. Oh, wow, that's tough. Um, Ignoring the part where we got 
shanked for a good couple hundred bucks. That's a, which is a story we're not going to tell. No, <laughs> no, it's not. The videos speak volumes. Uh, um, what did you enjoy? I, look, I think, look, I came here so far expecting to see a lot more brutalism because I like architecture and things like yeah. that. Not that I was looking for it, I just expected to see it because when I've looked at those photos, it's always been in Russia. Yep. Or at least in the, you know, the former Soviet Union. So food is a lot better than I expected. The food has been incredible. If we've got any Russian listeners, A, hit us up on Jeremy's Line mm-hmm. podcast at gmail.com. B, congrats, man. Your culture has some incredible food and we've been yeah, enjoying it. Yeah, like- except for the, like, the absurd amount of sour cream on every single dish. <laughs> I mean, on everything, really? I, I like a good dollop of sour cream. I'll be there, but it is extreme usage. There is no cuisine in which one condiment can be applied to all items in, in, in that. <laughs> it's true. It's just, it's, Soups, uh, like breads, um, what else? If you went somewhere meats. and they said, we put this on everything, you think they were crazy. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And not only that, but sour cream is like disgusting. Sour cream's great. But um, no, the food's been really good, especially considering that the fact that this may or may not have come up in the past. I'm part Ukrainian. I couldn't stand this crazy, weird Eastern European food growing up. Yeah. But I've really enjoyed it over here. So maybe it's just Ukrainian food I can't stand. Maybe Russian food's a lot better. I don't know. So that's been really cool. Um... What else have we done, man? We've seen the churches. Seen a lot of churches. I fell in love with the the, the singing in these Russian you Orthodox like churches. You like Kestrati. I've always said it. <laughs> I respect the Kestrati. You, Look, I'm not going to I'm not going to abide it. I'm not supporting the practice. <laughs> but if it's done, if what's done is done, they sing like angels. They do. And now that it's gone, it's gone, and you don't want to bring them back. But you're just saying, when you, when you see one, when you hear one, you got to appreciate it, right? Yeah, well, I, I'm guessing that the, the art of chopping a young boy's testicles off to keep his voice in the high register no longer occurs. So I'm, I'm guessing Shame. they were female or at least still very young boys singing in this church. And it was just like, it was incredible. It gave me the, the tingles and I could totally see why. You got your Peter Tingle going. I got my Peter, I don't know what that means. but I, Spider-Man. Okay. Don't worry. But I could see why people can get just... Moved by that, right? Moved, absolutely, by... Yeah. You know, that kind of singing in that environment. The churches were pretty beautiful. Yeah, so and the moment you had with the sound, that's what I have with the interiors. And the exterior too, right. the, the yeah. decoration, the gilding, the paintings. Uh, I find that quite, quite powerful. Yeah. I don't think it's quite enough to push me over the edge, but, um, but no, I, I really do love, I, mean, I told you a couple of days ago, get ready, because I love churches. Hmm. Love going to them, love seeing them, love sitting in them. Well, if, if there's people singing like they were singing, I'll, yeah. I'll sit with you, bud. I'm there. The smells, besides that, that smell they have here, which I don't like so much, the frankincense. Oh, no, that's great. Yeah. That's part of my orthodox uh, yeah, background. I know. I've got you know. bad things going on with memories and that whole smell. I don't like it. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's, it's a nice smell, sure. But, um, no, man, the churches, team Italy, I love the churches. France, I love the churches. England, yeah, they're okay. <laughs> Should we get to... Well, we, we might as well go to, the, to our segment where we do the latest science news, which I'm going to pepper you with. Hit me hard, man. What happens is uh, I read the news and mm-hmm. Justin responds with his wealth of knowledge being a... Um, this is all improvised. Yeah, it's all improvised, except for me. I've got except for the facts. three or four pages of notes that I'm about yeah. to get through right now. No, that's legit. That's research. But my, my reaction is all improvised. Yeah. And look... If you, if you like what we do and you like our show, uh, Jeremy's Iron Podcast at gmail.com if you want to write in. 
Oh, we also have a website, jeremysiron.com, Facebook group. And here's something that's coming in that's new. Not this episode, but we're getting ready. A phone number. What? We're going to have a direct line soon. I want a P.O. box. I want people to send in. We're going to get a, we're gonna, we'll get a P.O. box and we'll get a direct phone line, line. a hotline. <laughs> I love it. So it's the Jeremy's Wait. Iron Hotline. You can call us if you have an idea for the show, if you have a comment for the show, or to be honest, if you have an emergency, call, call us, us first. Yeah. Don't call triple zero. No. You can put it on hold. You call us. We, we, don't, have, answer, we don't have a lot of callers. No. <laughs> we'll get in early. That's what we're trying to tell yeah. you before we get flooded. And all I'm saying is give us a shot. Maybe we can help you. Yeah. Wherever you are. We've got listeners all over the shop now, so you know. we've got we've got tentacles that extend out into the, into the reaches. We can help. Maybe you know if you're being burgled, give just us give a, us a call. It's a crack. If we it, can, it if, can't help. You know, you know what? It, like, I mean, it can't hurt. It could waste your precious minutes, which could be. Spent but if we can't help, we'll tell you right away. That's right. So if you're if you're being burgled and you're nowhere near us, we'll, we'll tell you that we're not going to get there in time to help you. Yeah, we're not going to waste your time. But, let's do let's oh. do news, Dustin. What do you reckon? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Now, I've got a couple of pieces of news just in uh, to do with autism. So we'll talk a little bit about autism. Which has come up a few times with us now. I think it, ha- uh, it probably has, hasn't it? We, about the gut-brain axis, yes. about, about diets, about, um, about gut flora, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah sure. but, but there is a, uh, I was trying to look for some Russian-related science research that came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something just came out in the last couple of days from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences... Um, to do with, did you, did you know there was a mystery, a mystery cloud of ra- radioactivity that descended over Europe two years ago? No. Did you know that? No, you know no. that? So this is Masson et al. And if you want to know any of the research, you can have a look up on the show notes that I'll put up on my webpage, Jeremy Lyon. In September 2017, a radioactive cloud moved across Europe and basically no one knew where it came from. And so what they've decided to do over the last couple of years, a whole bunch of scientists, yeah. um, was map the amount, there are all these kind of testing stations for radioactive, sure. uh, radioactivity around Europe. What, what kind of radiation was it? Very good question. It was ruthenium-106. So the cloud itself was particles of ruthenium? Exactly. So a single element, ruthenium, which I've never actually dealt with in, in my sort of... I haven't dealt with ruthenium in a long no. time. <laughs> I don't even remember it. From and that. I was hoping that would be the last. As J- Justin Mendeleev, my, my pseudonym from the beginning of this... Um, this show, yeah. who would have created the Mendelevian table? Didn't he do the atomic? The um, no, he Mendelev? did. No, he did inheritance. Who did the? Who did the, the periodic table? It was a Mendelev. I think Mendelev was about the periodic table. Mendelev was definitely inheritance. He did the P model, the P's. Um, anyway, whatever. So ruthenium, I've not ever done anything with the element that is the radioactive element ruthenium. What's the number? One oh six. One oh six. But that would be the isotope. That would be the atomic of mass, of course, not the atomic number. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they found all these ruthenium-106 molecules um, mm-hmm. at all these places. And so essentially what they did, well, firstly, it's unusual that if there is radioactivity, that it's only one isotope of one element, which made them think that it was something to do with the nuclear reactor. Mm-hmm. But do they use ruthenium? Oh, apparently they do. 
apparently. Well, there's the answer. Well, they, well this, one, this one particularly does. But the, the impressive thing is, what they did was they mapped the spread of the cloud, mm -hmm. the fog and cloud, and they, they put into this modeling program a whole bunch of stuff about winds and, and like just general movements and perturbations in the atmosphere and stuff. And so they could backtrack it to figure out where the point of emission actually came from. Mm -hmm. To the point where they, they figured out it was from this, the Majak power plant in the Urals, yeah. which is in Russia. Uh, between 6 p.m. on the 25th of September 2017 and noon on the 26th of September Pretty tight window. That's, a, that's an 18 hour window, which so, is. Do they ask the power plant where it was between those hours? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He um, said, I was, I was watching a movie. I just, find, I just find that amazing, an amazing feat of just modeling and the sort of, I'm sure there'd be some GIS, um, you know, geographical modeling system that's happening with all of those, the measurements you're getting from all around Europe to kind yeah. of backdate it and go, yeah. well, it came from this one source between 18, in this 18 hour window. I find that like pretty incredible. In fact, it's so precise. I almost don't believe it. Yeah. That, that sounds like Russian misinformation to me. Oh, yeah, we know we found the source. We pinpointed down to within a few hours. It has to be from here. I well, been, I've been watching Chernobyl, and I know how, how, how opaque the government here is about their radiation Well, standards. no, the, 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 the Russians haven't made any statement about it at all. They, they haven't owned ah, up to so it. No, not, no one owned up to it. Okay, so this is not a Russian investigation. This is a... No, this is, a, this is very much a, a European, a pan-European mm. investigation. Interpol's on the job. No, <laughs> but a, a European um, conglomerate of academics. <laughs> a rogue <laughs> team of academics <laughs> that fight international crime. That's right, yeah. It's like the Scientific Avengers, that's awesome. It's great. It's like five Tony Starks. And you, you should see the, the names on this paper are just, there's about 60 different people that put, have their name on this paper. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So the, the next couple of pieces of news yeah. involve autism. Uh -huh. You good to go with those? Yeah. Okay. So I'll tell you the cure right now. All right. transplants. So this first one is uh, comes from molecular psychology. Um, the great, the, that, the great that, that rag. That rag from uh, Simon Baron Cohen at Al. Oh, so do you know who he is? Uh, the name's so familiar. Yeah, to that's me. Sasha Baron Cohen's. Oh, Cousin, I think. Right. Yeah, really? he's a massive, I think, childhood psychologist. Interesting. Yeah. He's very, you see him on the news all the time in the UK. He's yeah. very well respected, highly published, and he is, in fact, Borat's cousin. Cousin. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. Okay, well, um, this particular piece of um, research mm -hmm. finds that elevated prenatal exposure to estrogen, mm -hmm. so estrogen in the womb, yep. um, increases the chance of autism in the adult that, that eventuates. Okay, so how do they test that? Were they doing um, serial estrogen levels throughout the pregnancy or? Yeah, yes, essentially, that's okay. right. There's this thing called the Danish Biobank and they take amniotic samples um, oh, and they, okay. they have to, did so from 100,000 pregnancies over the course of, a, I think it's a couple of years. Uh -huh. Um, and this, piece, this biobank is extremely rich in terms of the information that they've mm -hmm. stored from all these pregnancies. So they initially used this to study androgens. Mm -hmm. Now, can you tell us what an androgen is? What's an androgen? Yeah, so androgens are um, male hormones. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, so uh, they found that in, an increase in the male hormones, androgens, mm -hmm. uh, around 
in a prenatal period actually increased the possibility, the probability of um, autism. And this shows that an increase in the female, in the estrogen, also does the same. Um, so it was quite interesting. It was, it was interesting for, I guess, well, two reasons. Like the, the fact that there's elevated estrogen, it doesn't necessarily imply that there's an elevated um, level of sort of feminization in the male um, children that, mm-hmm. that evolve. I think the study was actually just focusing on male um, neonates mm-hmm. or male children. Yep. Um, and the elevated estrogen level has no effect on their sort of masculine uh, traits. The masculine traits, and in physical fact, or otherwise. That's right, and it's in fact it's it's quite well known that an amount of es- estrogen in the prenatal period actually is required for some of the masculine traits to come through. Yeah, uh, but it does, however, increase the chance of autism. Oh. Now, here's here's my question to you: Do you know what, what what? How do you classify autism, and how do you measure it? Ooh. Um, because th- this is this is the uh, I find the interesting part of all this is the diagnosing of autism at the other end of it. I'm going to assume that it's in the DSM five that there's a diagnostic criteria. Right. What's DSM five? I feel like I should know that. The DSM five, I think they come up with the DSM six soon, is the um, psychiatric diagnostic criteria manual. Ah. And it's basically a book of um, all the I guess quote unquote disorders, but. The word disorder is probably a bit pejorative, right? Mm. But all the various psychological di- or psychiatric diagnoses and how to diagnose them. So it's the the handbook, and every every few years it gets upgraded, and a kind of a team of elite psychiatrists from around the world sit in a room, go through the entire book over the course of however long it takes, mm-hmm. and decide what to keep, what to get rid of. Some things which are previously labeled as disorders, we now know are just part of the normal spectrum of human psyche. Mm. Um, and some things which were previously undiagnosed, which we're starting to see more, they throw into the manual. So they do an editing of it, as well as a kind of a mo- modification of the criteria, as well as we have better information about it. Well, that that makes so, a lot of sense. So, but but autism, it may not be there. It may not be considered a disorder as much as it may be sort of an extreme of. of, of well, this this is the thing. Functioning, I don't know. At the moment, I'm I'm studying to become a, a high school teacher, as it turns yeah. out, and, and we st- we study a lot about autism and various conditions that we might have, you know, our future students might actually have. Um, and the thing I noticed when we were studying about this is that it's unlike a lot of other conditions, which is you have some kind of blood marker or some kind of cycle, mm. like some marker where we can say, yes, you have this condition, you have this disease, you have yeah. this or disorder or whatever we're going to call it in a politically correct way. Yeah. But for autism, it, it's really like it is indeed a spectrum. You've, you've heard of people, you know, the, the colloquialism of being on yeah. the spectrum. But that's that. true. That's not unusual. I mean, that's true of all psychiatric, quote unquote, issues. True. Depression and Depression, anxiety and psychosis, stuff. Psychosis, um, bipolar, um, mania, all the, nothing in the, I don't think there's probably almost anything in the manual in that DSM. It's a fat book of probably a thousand pages. That is diagnosable via blood test or anything else or a scan. Now, certain organic problems can result in either these behaviors or something similar, but it's not the cause for everyone, mm. and therefore it's not part of a diagnostic criteria for those disorders. Um, so, yeah. Well, I mean, ge- generally with autism, in terms of the way it's kind of portrayed is we, we, we classify someone as having autism if they have impaired social functioning, um, communication disturbances, either intense 
focus or unresponsiveness, avoidance of eye contact, lack of empathy, social withdrawal. So they're all kind of like... I've been accused of all those. (laughs) I'm sure, pretty sure. By me, during the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This morning. Yeah, you're not even looking at me right now. (laughs) I don't want to. Uh, We we should not joke. But um, the, the, the problem, I guess with all this stuff is that it's it's such a spectrum and to be able to say this person has autism mm. and you know this the uh estrogen level was such that it gave you autism and it, it, to me there's this sort of disconnect between like you think it's vaccination that causes autism <laughs> that's right you got me it's I, it's got to be something it's else simpler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i think it's much simpler than that yeah it's vaccinations yeah, yeah. um no i just i just find it mothers with high estrogen are more likely to vaccinate their children. Exactly. Right? Correlation, not causation. Interesting. Damn, I think we've just disproven <laughs> everything. We need to write a letter to the editor right now. Yeah. Of and molecular psychology. Yeah, but I, I, it's so vexed the idea of measuring the outcome when you're dealing with these um, psychological conditions or, or social, yeah. socially measured conditions yeah. like autism. Um, so I find, I find it really interesting, this sort of stuff. It's, it's kind of, yeah, a bit rubbery, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so when we've done some, looked at some papers in the past, so I think mm. we did the one with mice and the fecal transplants, and they gave the otherwise well-socialized mice fecal transplants from autistic children or children with autistic behavioral traits. Yeah. The mice exhibited antisocial behavior where they were kind of cowering in the corner of their cage, spending a lot of time alone, um, I think doing repetitive motions. These are behaviors that we do associate with some people who are diagnosed as autistic spectrum. Mm. Um, now, again, they're mice. We don't know if mice can even have that or how that works. But at some point, I think they had to put a cutoff of they behave enough of one way and they get a tick. And it's either positive or negative in mm. that situation. So I assume that you know, there's going to be a threshold that they draw in the sand. But, I mean, there is no true threshold for, for these things. It's, it is a spectrum because it's behavior. Well, interestingly enough, there's another piece of research. My final news just in for today is also to do with autism uh, by Artoni et al. From, again, from Proceedings of the Natural Academy of Sciences. They're, they're, they're developing a way of testing in very young babies, like yeah. between the ages of sort of six months and two years. Uh-huh. Um, they're using deep learning or machine learning and neural networks to identify irregular eye and heart fluctuations mm-hmm. in young, very young um, babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and in identifying those eye and heart fluctuations, they can associate some of those with autism. So you're basically using computer power to say yep. that these types of eye fluctuations and heart fluctuations, when provided with particular stimuli, sure. end up being associated with autism yeah. down the line. So machine learning is going to change our diagnostic criteria for everything. Yeah. So, I, was, but, I was reading recently, I don't know if we spoke about this, but machine learning is getting so impressive that, so it's learning how to read x-rays, for example, right? Read what? X-rays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does really well with photos. Yeah, that's, well, that's right. Ra- radiography is, is going to be a, a... Thing in the past. Yeah, that's right. right. Because it's going to be, but it century. still needs a huge amount of data on the front end to make it all work, right? Yeah. But it's going to be identified things that we can't even see. And one of the things I can identify is when you go to the eye doctor, for example, and you've had your fair share of time with the eye doctor. Sure. And they look into your retina. Shout outs to uh, Dr. Khan, the man with the lowest voice. Best voice in Sydney. Beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful man, beautiful voice. Never met him. 
Um, when they look into your eye and they take a photo of the back of your eye, of your retina, um, they can see the vessels, they can see some of the optic nerve that's mm -hmm. back there, and they make sure that's all kind of copacetic. But to the tr to, even to the trained eye, they couldn't tell you if they're looking at a man's eyes or a woman's eyes. And from the inside, we're all the same. Wow. With machine learning now, machines are able to tell you, looking at the back of someone's eye, if it's a man or a woman. And we don't know how it does it. But wow. We, but, but because, people, how many people go to the eye doctor? I went, I went a few weeks ago, and I've got no deep eye problems. But they still, as part of their routine checkup, they do take a photo of the back of your eye, right? And I've had that happen a few times. And you, they so take the box that has millions yeah. of, of data points for these photos, right? All tied to, amongst many issues, or issues, amongst many things, um, male or female. And so a computer can just run that data really easily, right? And so they know the difference. Apparently there is a difference, but we have no idea what it is. I love that and we don't I, know it. I don't even think that the machine can tell you what the difference is. That's right, because all it does is it's 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 finding the correlations, yeah. and it's and it, it kind of does yeah. it its own way and yeah. doesn't actually. So it can't even teach us what it knows. Oh my god, that's really amazing. Right? Well, well, that's so, essentially what's happening here in yeah. this study, right? So it can find patterns that we can't even begin to look for. Do Do you remember Blade Runner? No, never heard of it. The very first Blade Runner movie. Um, very first. There's only like two. One came out two years ago. Yes, I know Blade Runner, of course. I'm a super nerd. <laughs> okay. Well, do you remember the test they use in there? The test to... The Boyd Camp test? Yeah. yeah. Of course. They're basically looking at eye... They look into the... the what we spoke about this is like the CAPTCHA situation. The Boyd Camp test was an early version of CAPTCHA. <laughs> now, they just ask someone if there's a car or a, um, a traffic light in a picture. Yeah. And if you can't answer it, you get shot because you're a robot. But this, doesn't this just remind you of this kind of almost dystopian kind of like, yeah. let's look at the fluctuations of your eye and we're going to tell you exactly what diseases you're going to have in the yeah. next 20, 30 years of your life kind of thing. Or, like or, or if you're happy or sad. Yeah. yeah. It's like you might want to watch about, you know, don't let this guy play tennis because his elbow's not up to it. You know, like mm. this, it's going to be... Well, it's funny because, you know, we were, I think we probably would have expected a couple of years ago that... The way to predict someone's health or sort of the way their life would go from a health standpoint would be through DNA. And we've mapped the genome. You can get your genome checked, you know, or mapped very cheaply nowadays. It can tell you historically what diseases you might be predisposed to because of certain genes you have or familial issues or, or um, issues that are kind of more common within your race. Um, and so we, we have sort of a retrospective predictive sort of power to gene testing. Mm. But it seems as though machine learning may actually kind of pig on, leapfrog that in terms of its predictive ability by taking photos that we don't even know what yet, but looking at the back of your eye, taking your heart rate and blood pressure, all these things we take for granted, just data that we collect for ourselves for what we think for one obvious reason. Machine learning may be able to give us much more granular detail about your health and what to expect than we can get at, the, at this moment from the genome, mm. right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's, and that's just come out in the last and couple of years. So that's really kind of throwing us all for a loop in terms of what, how we expected this story would go. And this, this is, this is the, another thing that is often talked about in other podcasts, for example, Sam Harris's Making Sense podcast. Mm -hmm. um, formally Waking Up. Formally Waking Up. Yeah. Um, he often just describes you know, the, the dangerous ideas of there being differences between sexes or differences between... Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, ethnicities or whatever yeah. the PC word for that is, um, it's all going to come out with this technology, right? Like, you it know, will. we'll be able to, 
these machines will be looking at our eyes will be able to say that's a woman that's a man do you know what I mean and or this person's five six well exactly well, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's unlikely but we never would have thought you could tell man or woman from the back of someone's eye either right? yeah so we have no idea what it what information we will be able to tease out of this of, of this technology yeah and that's pretty cool and yeah there will be some uncomfortable truths that may be revealed. That's right. That, that like, will become fact that we will not be able to argue with because the correlation will be so strong. Yeah. And it won't be down to subjective measures like testing or observation. This will be down to, you know, huge data power. Yeah. This this person will be, be this person will be more intelligent. This person will be less intelligent. And it yeah. just so happens that the more intelligent person might be a particular race, and then all of a sudden it's like. Well, what do you do with that information? And what, what, like, do you, I don't know. It's just. If you ask the author of Sapiens, you ignore it. Well, that's true. I remember, I remember going through that book and finding yeah. that he was very, 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 like. He, he was very pro, there is a difference, but very anti discussing it. He just said, it's for the sake of, you know, the good of mankind and the kind of, you know, um, mm-hmm. the greater sanity, you have to ignore that information. Well, that, that's, that's a subject for another, another podcast, yeah. I would suggest. Mm-hmm. But that's it. That's my news just in for you. Pretty good, man. Pretty yeah. good. Bit, bit of um, Russian stuff. Bit autism, of autism keeps on coming up. And I, I think we promised recently that we would do a proper episode on autism. Yeah. Uh, we promised so a lot of things on this podcast. We do. We have. <laughs> yeah. We're not, we, we, we lie. Yeah. We are, uh, wait, what's that, what's that um, narrative device? We are unreliable narrators. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't, don't trust a word that we say. No. No. Absolutely. You, you didn't come here to... <laughs> For facts. <laughs> That's right. Jeremy's and I are in a podcast about science, evidence, <laughs> and reason. No. This is fiction. All right. Well, we're going to have a short little break uh, where we throw in a bit of a musical interlude. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get a glass of water. You do that. I'll give you 45 seconds. Then we'll okay. come back and we, uh, we'll talk about uh, research in Russia. Okay, so in the main segment today, um, this might be a short one, but we'll see how we go. We're going to talk about research in Russia, and in particular, because we, we've been over the last few days to a lot of museums, in particular, some of the, we went to the Cosmonautic Museum in St. Petersburg. That's right, we did. And we've been exposed to um, the height of Russian scientific progress in its Soviet era, in that 50s, kind of 60s period. Yeah, and so in the, in the, um, in what by sixty one, Russia had a man had in technically orbit. beaten the U.S. in the space race. That's right, right. So it was a it was a a Garden of Eden of science and technology and research and development, mm. right? That's one right. that could rival when the, the America, the greatest power in the world at the time. That's right. And so we're going to have a look at what has happened in the meantime, uh, in particular over the last sort of 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. uh, and. There's, I guess, two reasons why we're going to look into this. Firstly, because we're in Russia right now, and we we're we're on the ground reporting. <laughs> we are, yeah, we're on the ground reporting. We came here to find answers. Are we foreign correspondents? Yeah, we are. Jeremy, oh. Jeremy's our foreign correspondents. <laughs> but we made the mistake, like 
we can't throw to the other person. We're both in the same lot. I, so we should pretend I was back in Sydney still. Uh, and I could have gone, you know, now to Justin in the field. That's right. Live from Russia. Live from Vladimir. Back to you in the studio, Justin. Thank you, Justin. Uh, yeah, you. we're going to talk about Russian research over the last uh, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second reason why we're going to look at this is because uh, I've been working at Sydney University for the last 10 or 15 years, and there's a lot of Russian uh, academics working for Sydney Uni. Mm-hmm. And um, I, this, this, as it turns out, after I did a bit of reading, is quite the norm. There's, there's a bit of it has been... A brain drain. A bit of an exodus of high-quality academics mm-hmm. into, um, from Russia to other places. Now, I, I, there's plenty of reasons why this potentially happened. Some of them social, some of them political. In fact, probably most of them political. Um, but there's uh, this polymer physicist called Alexei uh, Koklov, mm-hmm. who uh, suggests that Russia's research system isn't up to date anymore and needs a thorough overhaul. So basically, once they were had a 2% of their GDP was spent on R&D back in 1990, and of course, the early 1990s brought on the fall of a lot of... There was a lot of political turmoil happening in Russia and its uh, subjects around that period. And from there, it's fallen to about 0.7% in just 1992, which is only a few years later. Uh, so it's, it's crept up to about 1.1% now, but th- there's, there's basically been a drop-off in the amount of money spent by Russia on its research and development. And that's shown in the quality of the uni- you know, university candidates and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, but there are other specific problems as well that I want to get into a little bit later as well. Um, some, of the, some laws that have been enacted that make it very difficult for people to actually fund um, some of these scientific research projects. Anyway. I feel as though I'm in the hot seat here. I feel as though you're trying to, you're trying to peg this on me for <laughs> the way you're looking at me. <laughs> it's like you're delivering your, uh, you know, an address. I'm like, I, I wasn't involved, man. I'm sorry. I was watching Urkel in 92. I don't know what's going on. Well, let, let's, let's talk about some of, the, some of the reasons why this has sort of come about. Okay. Um, in Russia, yeah. um, lot, a lot of the scientific work actually needs to be vetted by, some, by an official mm-hmm. before they submit it to foreign journals. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's definitely not the case in most other nations. In Australia, of course, you don't need anyone's. I mean, you've got your research group that is the beholden yeah. to itself, essentially. Yeah, completely. So that's someone who's in a position of outside of the lab. That's right. This is, this an is official, a, a government yeah, official. Okay. Yeah, a stooge. But you, you need to right. show them what's going on, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're um, submitting it to a foreign, a foreign journal, right? Are we going to get offed for breaking the story? Well, as long as we don't we send these files, we're not going to send these files anywhere until we get back into Australia. Yeah, I don't know, man. This place is definitely bugged. Yeah, it's possibly true. And, and my, my mobile is a totally old, uh, non... I, I think we need to transmit this as quickly as possible <laughs> so people know what's going on. No, well, this, well, to be fair, the story has a, has a, a good ending. I think you're going, to, you're going to tell us that the research over the last couple of years has been... There's been a bit of... An That's right, Mother Russia. You've done a great job. <laughs> um... But the other, other issues come along because of this. Uh, the president has lined, uh, who lines up quite a lot with the Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, mm-hmm. that I'm quite fond of now, as we discussed earlier. Yeah, you and your castrati. Has put in the position of the um, science and education minister an ultra-conservative religious historian, um, someone by the name of Olga Vasilyeva. Mm-hmm. 
uh, who is a self-pronounced admirer of Stalin as well. So this, this is in 2016, mind you, this is when she got the gig. Who we learned today was a very small man. Stalin, five foot six, yeah. Yeah. Nice, bushy mustache. Yeah, so it's these kind of political issues that have caused the scientific community some concern. The international scientific community, but also the, the local scientific community as well. And one problem, which I read as well, mm -hmm. and you and I both noticed, I commented to you a couple of days ago that I think I've never been in a country with as little English as here. Mm -hmm. um, is that a, why is that a problem? Because I read that there's a big problem with Russians reading foreign publications. Okay, well, as, oh, because they can't, they can't or they, they want no, they access to them? Because, okay. No, because they can't read them. Right, yeah, okay. So the vast majority of publications are in English yep. in the world, right? Um, but Russia can't read those papers, so they're not actually involved in that, in that uh, conversation mm. with the West. About well, that's science. not necessarily their problem, is it? That, that's kind of a bit more of a, you know, that's not a political issue more than a... Uh, it, it is in the sense that English is sort of becoming one of the world's languages, especially mm. for science communication. Um, and in a country where learning English is not mandatory or sort of part of the curriculum, then yeah, it will slow down your, mm. uh, your communication in that, uh, in that arena. So I think that is sort of a political issue at the root of it. Well, we've so that, that's an issue. And then obviously East-West relations or Russian-American or Russian-Western relations aren't great. We know, especially right now. Mm. Um, and well, I would have thought they'd be better now than they have been, no? Or maybe they're not. Well, not if you listen to all the stuff about Russia meddling and things oh, like yeah. that, all right? that sort of stuff is and set so, back. Yeah. yeah, and so one of the things I read was that those sort of poor relations, again, sort of stifle any sense of conversation between the East and the West, or, and collaboration. I mean, oftentimes, I've worked with American labs from Australia, and we collaborate. Oftentimes, there's sharing of data, sharing of ideas, hmm. uh, sending of members back and forth between labs, and these kind of, you know, collaboration is a really important part of science. And without that, yeah, you're going to sort of stagnate a little bit. So Russia is not a part of that, that, that conversation again. So, um, That's right. Yeah. And there are other structural issues which uh, are kind of, I guess, plaguing the, the Russian system as well, including not having fixed-term postdoc positions that most Western countries, even mm -hmm. China, um, offers these kind of postdoc positions. Even China, but, he says. Well, well, I guess for a comparable kind of sure. yeah, country yeah. in that respect. Um, but... In Australia, well, I know in Australia, but I'm sure in most other countries as well, uh, well those kind of you know first world countries, um, you would get these postdoc research positions that go for a fixed term, like one year, two years, that kind of stuff, and then you need to reapply essentially yeah. for another postdoc. Uh, and that and that in your success, we based on your publications and your academic record. Exactly. Yeah. Russia has a permanent system, so once you get in, you're in. Mm. And essentially what that does is it uh, very much reduces the competitiveness of those positions and potentially also the, the, the impetus for those people holding those positions mm. to actually put in as much effort as perhaps they do in other and countries. And also, from what I read, those positions are paid regardless... Um, of publication. Regardless of publication. Right. The people, the scientists, the academics don't actually need to apply for grant money. They just get the money every year no matter what. Exactly right. And that money, instead of actually getting decent money into each lab to promote the good projects, they just get a little bit of money, just a small pocket of money to all the labs that they think are worthy of it, right? Which means that no one really has enough money probably to do the research they want to do or should be doing 
And they don't really... And there's no competition to incentivize them to actually come up with those projects in the first yeah. place, right? So they just have a small amount of money that just gets wasted across a lot of labs mm. or departments or, you know, whatever's. Mm. Institutions, we'll say. Which is quite... I'm sort of lab-centric well, see, in my this approach. Is, this is quite funny because in my experience as a, an academic that's what was trying to write publications and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. I always sort of bemoan the idea that we have to spend so much time you know, auditioning for grants, essentially, or putting things yeah, together too. for grants. I thought, this is such a bullshit system, and, like, surely we don't need to go through all this stuff. But yeah. on the flip side, you get this other you, kind of... You get the quality out of it. Uh, well, at least. yeah, there, there are, those are the checks and balances, as inefficient and annoying as they are. They yeah. are indeed checks and balances, and they, they, I guess, create a more efficient, productive yeah, system. I, I feel the same way. When I was reading that article, I thought to myself... Oh, that's why we have grants. That's right. That's why we do oh, yeah. all that bullshit. Oh, that's why we can't do that. For, for those people that don't do research, people listening to us that aren't involved in the academic world, like thankfully, probably for your sake. Yeah, everyone. Uh, yeah. Like a predominance, well, not predominance, but at least like a, a very, very large proportion of an academic's life is spent hand out to either, you know, some kind of government body or the... Some industry. Industry to say, yeah. give us some money so we can do... This stuff, and, and we have to fill out all this stuff. We have to justify our case that why we need the money. Yeah, and, and that takes and, up a lot of the research. Money is the best money because it's, there's no strings attached, right? Uh, well, that's right. And it's, it's, it's kind of quote unquote sort of unbiased yeah. money. And, and yeah, from the outside, you look at it and go, "Well, that's just everyone's just wasting their time." That these are scientific gurus trying to just put the cap out in yeah. front of the government. But I, guess I, have, I have like a. Traumatic memories as a kid of my dad in grant season every like February. Yeah, was it was grant season and he'd just go into a hole for like a month or more. Yeah, not doing any science, not doing any. No, actual he'd be, science. he'd be yeah. in his office just typing away. He couldn't speak to him, couldn't see him. Grant, I knew about the stresses of grant season before I knew what a grant was. Yeah, I just knew as a kid it's grant season, you know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's brutal, but without it, granted, it'd be a great name for a series on the scientific researchers. You know, like hot young scientific researchers in like I know I think it'd be a good podcast name for a show about granted granted oh actually that's very good yeah well that's gonna be a <laughs> we're, we're gonna shut down Jeremy's Iron and reincorporate as granted a podcast about yeah. grant applications damn it we've just yeah pretty good right <laughs> it's really great it's really good I'm excited <laughs> I, I would listen to a podcast about grant application yeah now, I've got one more, one more impediment that I found in the Russian system, which is quite interesting too. So I'll, I'll talk to you about Another that. one. Another one. What do you got? It's called the foreign agent law. Wait a minute. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no clue. So basically the Kremlin... Foreign agent law. Foreign agent law. Yeah, L-A-W. Like Jude Law. Yes, spelling wise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nothing to do with the man. Oh, it's not Jude Law. No. Okay. Because uh, he's a foreign agent it, for Russia. In various movies, is he? No, he's not Russian, so he'd be a foreign agent. Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. We didn't need to go too long. Foreign though. agent law. <laughs> <laughs> the Kremlin can block the bank accounts of any group that presents, in quotes, a threat to the foundation of the constitutional order of the Russian Federation, mm-hmm. the defense capability of the country, or the security of the state. Okay. I think that's fair. 
Yeah, okay. Uh, so do I. I feel like, okay, if, you, if you're threatening the state, then that's all good. You can also, apparently you can um, get banned from entering Russia or jailed as well. But what happens is it hits... Off air. It hits NGOs and charities working in Russia pretty hard because what happens is these groups um, receive a lot of foreign funding. So the Russian government says, hey, look, if you're receiving foreign funding, you are beholden to a foreign power and therefore a threat to the foundation of the constitutional order of the Russian Federation. I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) For the record. Okay, this all sounds like we're scratching around the surface, but but what happens is that a lot of these NGOs are now getting out of the country because they're like, it's just too freaking hard. There are Russian-born people who are trying to inject money into the science and research community to be like, for, for privatized grants, for example, right? Now, there's some Russian guy down, I think, I, I can't remember if I put his name down here. Oh, yeah, Dmitry Zimin. He's mm-hmm. the founder of a big Russian telco. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's, worth, he's worth heaps, right? Rubles and rubles. Oodles of rubles. Oodles of rubles. And he, starts, he started a foundation called Dynasty, which supports science students. So initially, he wanted to start it with 7 million euro mm-hmm. um, and to try to basically support local science students in Russia for their studies to get them where they need to go. Mm-hmm. But he made the problem of, he made a mistake of um, basically putting the money in a foreign bank account, a trust account. Well, most people kind of do, right? They put it in either Switzerland or one of those Cayman Island type things. The trust account goes there, the money feeds through, blah, blah, blah. Because the money's coming from overseas, he got slapped with a foreign agent tag with a, um, yeah, labeled essentially a foreign agent. And the money was frozen. The money was frozen. And then he- Confiscated or just frozen? Fro- well, fro- actually, I, I don't know. But what I do know is that the, the guy basically pulled out and said, this is bullshit. I, I know, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, I can't. I'm not going to go through all this castle to basically be, you know, be a philanthropist in Russia, you know? So it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of other NGOs that are getting caught in this net as well to do with academia not to do with academia, but um, yeah, there, there are all sorts of these kind of issues affecting the research community, science mm-hmm. and research community, which is what we want to be re- reporting on here in Jeremy's Iron, right? We are, we are a podcast about science and research. Mostly. Well, sometimes I would suggest. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, that kind of wraps up all the stuff I have on, on, on Russia, but you were saying that, that uh, you found some stuff saying that over the last couple of years in particular. Yeah, that's right. Partnerships. So, I saw some stuff about partnerships with Russia and other universities now increasing very, over the very you know, last 18 months sort of thing. Well, yeah. So I read in the last... Um, there's an article that came out in 2018, so a year ago, if you listen to this sort of non-contemporaneously. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they said that the Russian government had increased its um, spending on research and development by to around $2, million, $2 billion yeah, sorry, two billion dollars, U.S. dollars, right? Um, which was an increase of twenty five percent over the previous year. So mm. from twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen, um, it rose twenty five percent to two billion U.S. dollars, and with that injection of money, uh, they found that between compared to twenty, so I think it said sorry, compared to two thousand and six, the publications in the last couple of years for Russia have gone through the roof. And they're now sitting, or at least a year ago, they're sitting in the top 10 most productive countries with regards to publications. Mm. Um, in fact, they're sitting higher than Australia, Canada, and Switzerland. Wow. So 
Okay, so that's what I said. There's, there's, a, there's a positive. Yeah. Well, apparently positive, um, Putin did say, I think last year, that he was going to make a strong point of, um, of tackling Russia's deficient research system, correct. which he's partially involved in causing from the sounds of things. Yep. But he's realizing now that without a strong backbone of research in, in, in any country, mm. uh, your economy is going to stagnate because so much right now, so much money is predicated on research and development. Mm. Especially in the world of tech and biotech and things like that right now, right? Which a couple of big breakthroughs can, yeah, can get, can get get all sorts sorts of investment coming yeah, into your exactly. country, and yeah. So, so they have a plan to sort of kind of look towards R and D for the future, and it sounds like you know with a country like Russia where they can control where the money goes and when they want it to, um, they're doing a pretty good job of of changing that, turning that around. So it'd be interesting to see if that's sustainable, and kind of what what role or what sort of power Russia has in that arena in the next couple of years. Mm. And we'll, hope, well, we'll see if, if that, that sort of similar brain drain keeps occurring and, yeah. and you, you might not see as you many Russians. You might find yourself at Sydney Uni with no Russians. I might find myself in uh, Moscow, Moscow Institute of Technology with uh, a whole bunch of uh, expat Australians. Brain vacuum. Yeah, I might be over here. You might never leave. I suspect if this gets out, we are never leaving anyway. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, well... I told you I like those uh, the castrati, so I'm I'm gonna I'm here for the singing. You gotta stop with the castrati. <laughs> but I think that's the show. I feel like we're done. We're done. Um, we're done. Hey, look! If you liked us, you know where to find us. Jeremy Zion. Just search for us in Google.com. You'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, what are we gonna do next week? Have we got a, a plan for? Uh, yeah, we've got a short list of a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, We've had a lot of autism talk lately, but maybe we'll save that one for later for a bit of a break. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe we'd look into... Um, blue light? Yeah, blue light. Ah. So um, computer screen usage, so cell phones, laptops, yep. um, and what effect that has on sleep patterns. Yeah, because you, you know how the, there's this whole idea of not, not looking at uh, yeah. your iPad or not looking at a screen. And people are sleeping badly and... these days, and people are saying that one of the reasons or one of the things you can do to maybe sleep better is to not be using your... Electronic devices for a period of time before you go to sleep. Mm. Is that real? Is that hokum? We're gonna, I don't know. We're going to find out next week, and and we are going to be dedicating ourselves to creating one of these uh, every week. Where yeah. we've been a, bit, a little bit lax over the last six months doing it, you know, when we want, but uh, we're going to make a real real. Uh, now we're going to do it when we don't want. Yeah. Now we're going to give you shows when neither of us want to be here, and uh, yeah, we'll you'll be able to see the, uh, see the if you can tell. fruits of that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah. Spasiba, I guess. Spasiba. Yeah. What's What's goodbye? Uh, Dovidenia. No, that's yeah. I think I think oh, that's right. Dovidenia. I can't remember any of these words. Yeah, our Russian's not great. I like how we were, we were saying. Oh, um, many. <laughs> yeah, too many. He remembers dumplings. Yeah. Uh, and I like how Pankopa. we were saying how how our. How we were, how Russians were so bad with English, and yet we know about three Russian uh, words. So it's, no, it's, uh, I know, I know, but we're great. We are lucky enough to be speaking the world language, Mandarin. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. See you later. Catch gotcha. you. Like, uh, like, 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 like